Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Holding the Ladder in Sport and Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Rice. Our guest in this episode is Dre Baldwin. In just five years, Dre Baldwin went from his high school team's bench to a nine-year professional basketball career. At the same time, Dre built a content publishing empire, blogging since 2005 and publishing videos to YouTube starting in 2006. Dre has published over 8,000 videos, with his content being viewed over 73 million times. Dre's daily Work On Your Game podcast has over 4 million listeners. Dre has given four TEDx talks and has authored 29 books, including Work On Your Game and The Third Day. We look forward to learning more about Dre over the next few minutes. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Holding the Ladder in Sport and Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Rice, and with me for this episode is Dre Baldwin, direct from South Florida. Uh, Dre, welcome to the podcast, and we're really looking forward to learning more about you, of course, and and your journey. A very interesting one. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Tim. I'm really excited to be here for this conversation. Great. Well, obviously, you've uh, you've got, come a long way from uh, growing up in Philadelphia and, and now being in the Miami area and, and all the different things you've done, uh, whether uh, in the entrepreneurial side of things, but also as a, a, a former professional basketball player internationally. But tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, the two, three-minute version. I come from the city of Philadelphia, PA, as you said. Uh, was always in the sports, played you no know, audit, background, backyard, driveway sports where I come from. Uh, first team sport that I tried officially was football, but my family couldn't afford football equipment, so I never actually played football. I never hit anybody or got hit. Then uh, played a little bit of baseball. Didn't have any talent for baseball, so even though I played for a few years, I knew that wasn't my future. Then finally came on to basketball around age 14, which is actually pretty late for anybody who's trying to go somewhere in ball to play in college, let alone in the pros at any level. So only played one year of high school, sat on the bench that one year, only scored like two points a game as a senior. So going to college, I didn't have any prospects, no offers or anything like that. I had to walk on, and everyone listening to this probably knows what that means, but just in case, no offers, nobody knew who I was. I literally walked in the gym and had to prove my, prove my way onto the team. I actually started at Penn State Abington. I don't know if you know that. Penn State oh, Abington wow. was my first year of school, and at the time, they were a provisional Division three. You, you can only play two years. But I got recruited to Penn State Altoona after my freshman year going into my sophomore year. So that's where I finished my career at Penn State Altoona. But Penn State Altoona is not, you know, it's not Duke. No, we're not a pro basketball factory. So nobody had ever come out of Altoona to play pro. So graduating college, I had to hustle my way into overseas basketball. Went to exposure camps, uh, invested a lot of my own money into those events just to see if I can make it happen. This, this pipe dream that was, it was a pipe dream until I made it happen, right? And then once I made it happen, it became uh, kind of a great story. And at the same time that I started playing overseas, I started publishing videos to this brand new website in 2005 called YouTube. And that started a, a parallel career for me at the same time. It wasn't until about five years later, Tim, that I realized that YouTube could actually be, you could actually make money from it. Because the first five years, there was no money to be made from posting content on the internet. No blogging, YouTubing, you were, you were doing that back then. You were a bum who needed to go shave and get a real job, right? So 
around 2010, I found myself unemployed from pro basketball. I had played a few places. I started my career in 05 in Lithuania, but I found myself unemployed and I just asked myself some serious questions like how can I get some control over my career by doing something that I love, which is being involved in basketball, but also having some say in how I'm doing it. So that's when I started focusing more on what we now call building a personal brand, creating my own products and services, etc. So that laid the foundation for what I do now as an entrepreneur. At the same time, these players who were watching my videos, they would, I would always respond to the comments on YouTube, and they found out about my background. Like, man, you only played one year of high school. You walked on in college. And they all asked me about the mindset. Of course, they wanted to know how do you dribble, shoot, and dunk, but they really wanted to know the mindset behind what were you thinking to keep doing it because a lot of the players who were watching me, when they heard my story, they, they saw themselves in me. And while our skill sets were different, they were wondering, well, Dre, look, I just got cut from my high school team last week. All right, how, did you, how do you regather yourself to come and try out again next year? Like, why even keep trying? Because all my friends are laughing at me. My parents are telling me, are you ready to stop playing basketball and do something serious now because you know you're not making it to the NBA? You know, how do you get yourself, how do you re, regroup? mentally in those situations. So I started talking about the mindset stuff. I just started doing these videos called the weekly motivation every Monday. Just talking about a quick little mindset tip, a little selfie video, two, three minutes every Monday, way before selfie videos were cool. And I did that, Tim, for about 400 weeks in a row, 400 straight Mondays. Those videos laid the foundation for what I do professionally today. So when I stopped playing ball in 2015, I already knew that this thing, this mindset stuff that I now call work on your game was going to be my future because when I made those videos, not only were the athletes appreciative, but I started to draw an audience of people who weren't athletes. And they would say, Dre, look, um, I don't play basketball. I'm not trying to make it to the NBA. But the way you break down mindset, anybody can use that and everybody needs it. They just people just don't understand the value of it. So when they heard me talking about it from my perspective, they're like, well, look, I don't even play basketball, but the way this guy's talking about it, I can learn from it. So that is what planted the seed. So in 2015, when I stopped playing ball, I knew I'd be going into this full time. I'd already started writing books. I'd already been creating content. And you no, know, here we are. Long story short, that's how we ended up here, Tim. Wow. Well, and, and you obviously took a, a chance and filled a, a, a need when there was no there was a huge gap. There was no real, Absolutely. I mean, like you said, I mean, you, 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 a website called YouTube, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It, that, that's <laughs> kind of funny that, that you said it that way. But I mean, now obviously with the, the power of uh, YouTube, the power of social media, it's given you a, a business. Now, I mean, what, what's your, what's your business called? It's called Work On Your Game Incorporated, if you couldn't guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and so do you, uh, do you have a lot of uh, folks that um, obviously you probably have people watching all over the United States, all over the world. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. uh, what kind of, uh, that's got to make you feel kind of good to be able to uh, have made a difference in the lives of so many people just through your content. Absolutely. And, you know, like you said, when I started posting on YouTube, nobody knew that was a thing. The only reason I started publishing more is simply because the players were responding. Like there were comments on the video. Mind you, back then we didn't even know comments weren't a normal thing that people just go type something and say something to something you posted on the Internet. So I realized this was an underserved audience and these players were basically me, but 10 years younger. They needed someone to teach them how to play basketball. The advantage they had over me 
growing up in the 90s, they're growing up in this new millennium is that they could go to the internet and get information. Whereas people like me and you, Tim, we were on our own. Either you figured it out or you didn't, but they could go to the internet and get information. So I said, all right, I'll go to the gym every day anyway. Why not just bring my little cheap little camera? This is way before cameras on the phones. This is a, you had to have a camera itself. Why not bring my cheap little $100 camera and just record myself working out? They like this stuff? Okay, I'll just put it on the internet. I was doing it anyway. So that's really, really where it started. Wow. Well, and that and so creative in, in your approach to doing it. But I also think that uh, having a vision for it, I mean, it, when you look back to that, did you have a vision for like where you might go with it? Real vision? At the beginning, at the very, very beginning, I wasn't thinking about it like that because the exposure camp that I went to after between college and when I started my pro career, I went to this exposure camp. I think most athletes know what that is, but basically you pay to play. You pay money, you go to an event, and you and a bunch of other players who think they're good, you are showing yourselves in front of an audience of people who may be willing to help you get to the next level in your journey. From what I understand, they have exposure camps for amateur athletes now too, it's not just for the pros. So I went there and I played really well, and I took the footage from that event. It was on this thing called a VHS tape. You remember those, Tim? Oh, yes, VHS. <laughs> okay, so that VHS test tape is the actual footage from my exposure camp in 2005 down in Orlando, Florida. I got that transferred onto a data CD and that's the footage that I put on YouTube. It's basically like a two minute little highlight clip that I made of myself. And that footage I just put up just for myself because I'm like, I just wanted that so I could see myself playing. Because back then, I mean, this was not that long. It seems like it was such a long time ago, but you couldn't just video yourself and then watch it two seconds later. Back then, you had to camcord it, then you had to put the tape in the VCR, then watch it. So this is a brand new, brand new technology that you could actually watch yourself doing something two seconds later. So that's why I put it on YouTube. But then when I saw the comments, I realized that other people wanted it. As far as to answer your question, I always wanted a website that was by and about me because I always knew I had things that I wanted to share and I wanted to say because I really always believed that communication is my... It, that's real. My real zone of genius, Tim, is not basketball. Actually, it's communication and, and my ability to communicate my basketball knowledge is really what got people to know me. Like people don't know me from playing overseas. They know me from watching me on YouTube. You know, it's ironic like that because you do all that work to become a pro athlete. But everybody knows you from a video that you made in the backyard on your camera. Right. So <laughs> it's funny that it happens that way. So I always wanted to have a website. So I started my own website in 2007. And then around 2009, that's when I looked at what was happening with the Internet. And we're just now starting to use this phrase social media and all this stuff. And I said to myself, I remember I telling a friend of mine at that time, I don't know what this is that's happening on the Internet, but this is going to be bigger than what I'm doing in basketball. So I knew that probably around 2009. I knew it was going to be bigger simply because you could reach more people. And even when your physical abilities wane, you can still do it because it's really just going off of your communication, your talking. You don't have to be able to jump 40 inches in the air to be somebody on the internet, but to be a pro basketball player, there's a, there's a short shelf life. So to answer your question, kind of yes and kind of no. Yeah, well, and you, you brought up the VHS tape. And I remember when I uh, was uh, in college coaching back in the early, late 90s, early 2000s, where we were like dubbing, clip tapes <laughs> on a dual deck VCR right. and you know and then all of a sudden I'll never forget being at Hiram College and them saying oh you know everything's going digital now and it's going to be a lot easier and now I mean you go to uh, Synergy or other uh, uh, you know uh, systems that basically every college university use out there and they can get clip they right. get film from any team that they want 
anywhere mm. of every game. And it's very exactly. interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's completely different. I remember doing uh, 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 actually um, – FedExing VHS tapes to all the teams that wanted right. to see uh, see play Penn see Penn State Altoona play like Penn State Baron right. and all these other teams wanting to see Altoona right. or whatever, but it's uh, it's a, it's completely changed. It's been a, a, a huge paradigm shift over the last fifteen to twenty years when it comes to technology, especially in the sport industry, but also obviously within uh, in every area. But uh, one question I have is. Um, Growing up in, in the Philadelphia area, how did you get your start in sport? I mean, did you play a lot of sports growing up? Yeah, I played everything. So I, w I was always athletic and always in the sports. So you know, where I'm from, we do relay races, kickball. Somebody had a, a backyard court, you know, the ones you pull out the driveway and put water or sand in the base of it. We did that. We played touch football. Any sport you could play, we played it back in the backyards. And then we got a little bit older. They started sending us to the playgrounds because – you know, you can't kick the ball into somebody's car or something like that. The neighbors will right. get mad. So then we started going to the playgrounds, playing with all the kids in the, from the wider neighborhood. And then finally, by around age 9 or 10, that's when I started looking into team sports. So, yes, I was always into sports. I was never – I mean, I was always into computers too and sports as well. So those are always my two things. Yeah. Well, and I, I was going to ask too, you know uh, – You've probably had a lot of people through the years um, that have held the ladder for you to get to the place to help you climb to the place you are now. And I mean, uh, who's held mm -hmm. the ladder for you through the years? Man, well, I have to, of course, give credit to my parents. I mean, I grew up with both parents at home and my parents were not athletes. My mother is five, seven. My dad is five, eight. I'm six, four. But they are biological. We did the tests and everything. So with my, my parents, you know, they, it was about discipline. They instilled discipline. My mom's an educator. So she was all about, you know, go to school, get an education, get your degree, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I followed it to the most part, except the part about what I did after school. But it was always, it was always discipline. You know, you got chores. You want to get up at a certain time. No going outside or playing video games on school nights. All of that. So it was all of that discipline that you know some kids deal with and some kids don't. I took that discipline with me to the basketball court, Tim. And then I took that discipline that I saw that it worked in basketball, and I took it to the business world. So I would have to give credit always to my parents as the people who instilled that in me, even though they weren't trying to make an athlete at all. Yeah. Well, and and obviously, and through your uh, your basketball playing career and playing all over, you know, the world, you probably mm -hmm. met some interesting people. Did you have any folks hold a ladder for you during those years? Man, so going into going into college, actually, you no, know, it's funny because you asked me. I think I don't think we were recording yet. That uh, Armin Gilliam was the guy who came in to coach my team at Penn State Altoona my junior year. Now, Armin Gilliam did not recruit me. The guy who recruited me was the coach before, a guy named Kenny Macklin. So I only played for Kenny for one year. Then Armin Gilliam comes in, and you know how college coaching is. When a new coach comes in, sometimes they clear out some of the former players simply because they want to bring their own people in, the same way that a CEO might replace some, some of the executives, not because they're not good, but because they want to have their own people. So Armin Gilliam and I didn't really – uh, see eye to eye for much of the time that he was coaching there. He had removed some of the big guys and he wanted me playing like power forward or center. My body wasn't built for that and I didn't have the size for it. So that didn't work too well. But some of the players that he recruited, uh, most specifically is uh, one of my guys, uh, Wes Pfeiffer, who's now a head coach at Division II Western Oregon University right now. He was the first guy that I met 
and knew personally who actually knew anything about overseas basketball. So he's the one who kind of planted the seed in me like, okay, when we get out of college, they had these things called exposure camps. He's the one who told me about that. He, and he actually knew players who played overseas. So he had an idea of what we would need to do when we got out of school because he knew that it's not like there's a bunch of NBA scouts. Like New York Knicks are not sending players to Altoona to come watch us play. So he was definitely a person who helped plant the seed in me. And he and I were the only two players, even to this day, and that was damn near 20 years ago, to yeah. come out of Altoona and actually play pro basketball. Him, him and uh, West Piper and myself. So I would definitely have to give credit to him. Also, one of my other teammates, Brandon Battles, he's from Pittsburgh. He was another guy. The three of us, here's the thing, Tim. After the season at Penn State Altoona, when the season ended, now mind you, this is a Division Three college. So most of the players that we played with, to be honest, they didn't have basketball ambitions. They didn't have that hoop dream, as we said. They weren't thinking they could go to the NBA. They didn't, they didn't think they could play with anybody. They just wanted to play college ball. And when that four years is over, okay, that was fun. Let me move on to the rest of my life. But there were a few of us, a handful of us, that had this mentality that maybe we can go, we can go a little bit further. We can do a little bit more. So when the season would be over at Altoona, we wouldn't see these guys ever again, our teammates. But the three of us, me, Wes, uh, Brandon Battles, we would drive around to other campuses. So we would go to State College, which was 45 minutes away from Altoona at the time. We would play pickup in their gym. We played against the girls' team, which was one of the top-ranked teams in the nation back then in the early 2000s. The men's team started coming in there to play against us. We went to St. Francis and played. We played with guys in Altoona. We went to uh, uh, Pitt-Johnstown. We played. We went to IUP and played. We would go to Pittsburgh and play. Anywhere that we heard that there was a good game, we would go because we were at a mentality we could play with anybody despite the fact that we were coming from a Division Three college. So I had to give credit to both of those guys, still friends of mine to this very day for we supported each other and that we all wanted to do more than just play D3 college basketball. Yeah, well, and the question I have uh, regarding the business uh, mindset, you know, obviously mm -hmm. uh, you've, 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 uh, you've grown through the years and learning about the business. Did you have any business mentors that, like, held the ladder for you? Absolutely. So growing up, you know, all the adults around me were, they worked you no know, normal jobs. My parents did some entrepreneurial stuff on the side. I guess you would call it small business. They were, they owned their jobs basically, but I didn't really have anyone teaching me entrepreneurship. It was only when someone introduced me to a, a network marketing meeting when I was in college, actually middle of college, they just said, uh, you no, know, make unlimited income on the side while you're a college student. So I'll go to the little meeting and they introduced the concept, two concepts. First of all, uh, personal development because they were mentioning names that I'd never heard of before. They mentioned people like Napoleon Hill and Jim Rohn and Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins. I never heard of these people before. But when they started talking about what those guys were talking about, I said, well, this is something I've always been interested in. Because, Tim, you know that you know, back 20 years ago, before Amazon exploded, to read books, you had to actually go to a bookstore and look at the books, <laughs> physically look at the books. I was always attracted to two sections, the sports section and the, personal, the human psychology section. They used to call it human psychology. Now they have an actual personal development section. But that's a new thing. But I would always go to that section of the bookstores. I was always interested in the way people thought and how our thoughts led to our actions. So I was always into that. So when I heard of these people that they were mentioning, the Napoleon Hills and the Zig Ziglar's, I said, okay, this is the kind of stuff I want to read. So when I heard about these books, uh, they had Napoleon Hill had a book called Think and Grow Rich. I said, oh, wait, that's all I got to do? Okay, let me let me read that book and let me see what he's talking about and reading all these other people. So that was number one. And number two, at that meeting, they started talking about these basic principles of entrepreneurship. 
just basic principles of understanding. Here's the difference between working somewhere and being an entrepreneur. And I said, okay, all right, now that starts to explain different things to me because I'd always wondered, or right, what is everybody else doing? Because my parents would say things like, you know, money doesn't grow on trees or we're not rich or we can't afford that. And I heard that over and over and over again, but I'm like, wait a minute, there are people who can afford these things. So what are they doing that nobody in this neighborhood is doing? So when I went to that meeting, it started to open my mind to see other things. So that planted the seed. And also uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki, I must credit that book. So that planted the seed in me around 2001-ish. Now I knew I was gonna play basketball after college. I graduated in 2004, but I knew when my basketball career was over, because I knew I couldn't play basketball forever, my next step would be being an entrepreneur. So it was just a matter of time. And then in 2009, when I found myself unemployed, as I told you about earlier, I went right back to that teaching that I had got almost a decade earlier. Okay, how do I start applying this and actually do some entrepreneurial stuff? Because the internet was making it much easier for people like you and I to put ourselves out there and we didn't have to go through a gatekeeper. So that's how that started. Wow. Well, and, you know, obviously it's funny you bring that up because I, I remember Barnes, going to Barnes & Noble when I was at Grove mm. City College, driving from Grove City, Pennsylvania to Cranberry, Pennsylvania to go to the nearest right. bookstore. And we would do it uh, three times a week. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, I mean, we right. do exactly what you were talking about. So um, mm. when you look at the your, your role and your business, and listen, like you, you, it's your thing, right? So you obviously have a bunch of different challenges, a lot of things that you have to balance. But what are some of the biggest challenges you face day to day in what you do? Wow, that's a great question. Well, one of the biggest challenges you face when you're an entrepreneur is uh, how do you generate revenue? Uh, where are the customers coming from? And then you got to serve the customers. And the more customers you get, the usually, in my experience, the more headaches. <laughs> customers come with headaches. As people are spending money, they have demands. <laughs> so <laughs> you got to deal with those. You have to deal with staff. You have to figure out, okay, how do we keep this going? How do we bring new leads into the business? How do we get more people to know my name and know about what I'm doing? Or how do we put together the next offer? And all of this stuff has to be organized. And when you're the person on top, you're responsible for everything that happens, even if it's not your fault. So for example, a couple of days ago, I got a, a couple of emails not necessarily disturbing, but challenges. A customer wrote me and they were mad because a couple of books they got had a little bit of damage on them because the post office mishandled the package and they, you know, they just throw that stuff around in the, in the trucks. So her books had a little bit of scuff marks on them. She was mad because now she can't give them away as gifts. Another person received an envelope with no books in it because, and the post office marked it that it was unsealed because they let it get wet and then the envelope opened and all the books fell out so now I had to replace those books these are the kind of challenges that you had to deal with and you're talking dealing with hundreds of customers so this kind of stuff this is just part of the deal when you're an entrepreneur but as I tell people there's there's some stuff that you got to deal with no matter what you do in life it's just a matter of how do you deal with it there is no perfect situation it's just a matter of which one do you want to take yeah and you know I think that being able to roll with the punches, especially when you're you're mm -hmm. you're doing your business. I mean, I know uh, for what I do, I, I have a lot. I'm a I have my business from home, you know, much like mm -hmm. you do, and and it's kind of like, well, right, you know, I have certain things that come up as well, but it is. It's about customer service. It's about uh, doing what's right uh, by the customer because you want to have repeat business, right? That's right. So, um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, and yes, you want to have repeat business and just sometimes doing the things that will make your 
clients and your customers happy might mean you taking a temporary loss in a moment for more gain in the long run. So that's that's part of the discipline, actually, of running a business and then just making sure, okay, what part of our system allowed this this to happen? Let's plug that gap so that this doesn't happen again. Right. And, you know, it, it does lead to the next question regarding, you know, you, you've done a lot of different things. You've been very versatile. You went from, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, being at Penn State Altoona to playing overseas to doing what you've done and you've had a vision all those years. But, you know, obviously there are certain skills that you had to have. You talk about discipline. I, uh, do you think discipline is a skill or what, do you think it's a skill? That's a good question. And yes, I do think it is a skill because a skill is a learned behavior. So someone can learn to be disciplined. The challenge is Someone, people have to go about it the right way. There's a right way to develop a skill and there's a, a way to try to develop that skill that's probably not gonna work. So when it comes to developing a skill of discipline, I think the most important thing that people need to unlearn is that being disciplined does not mean forcing yourself via willpower to do things that you don't wanna do. This is what many people try to do with discipline. So right now we're recording this as early in the year. We got a lot of people who are willpowering their way to the gym right now, right? at the beginning of the year. But we know by March or April, we won't see those people again for another year. And uh, a little funny tidbit is that a lot of gym owners know this, but most people don't, is that the majority of the money that gyms make is membership fees of people who never come to the gym. Right? If everybody who had a membership actually came to the gym, they wouldn't have the capacity. The fire marshal be shutting the building down. But that's how they make most of their money from people who never show up. But anyway, the skill of discipline is developed through, first of all, you have to have an anchor is what I call an anchor is what is something that you care about or you desire strongly enough that you are willing to be disciplined in order to get it until you figure that out. Discipline is never going to stick for you. You can do it for a week or a few days, but to really be disciplined, you have to have a real reason to do it. Uh, as Napoleon Hill says in Think and Grow Rich, a strong burning desire. When you have that, then the discipline will be easier to come about. And then to get the discipline, you need a strategy, not just telling yourself, I'm just going to do it. That isn't going to last too long. Motivation comes and goes, but a discipline, a system, that is the, those are the guardrails that actually provide the motivation for you that, so that you don't have to provide it for yourself. So to answer your question, Tim, yes, discipline is a skill when it is applied the right way. Yeah. Well, what, uh, what other skills do you think are essential for success as a sport professional? Obviously, many of the things you learned as a player, you probably put into mm -hmm. practice into your own business. But I mean, what, what are some skills you think are essential for success other than just discipline? Great. Well, I would say discipline is the foundation. Next one, at least the confidence. And what many people, most people want confidence, especially performers. Anyone who's in any, any type of performance art wants to be more confident in you know, what they do and putting themselves out there. You know, these days and I, when I work with clients, uh, you know, coaching program clients, people want to be speakers or thought leaders. They want to write books. They want to do workshops. You need confidence to put yourself out there and perform. What many people don't understand is that discipline creates confidence. The more disciplined you are, the more confident you afford yourself to be because you know you've done the work, you know you put the time in, you know you have a system that works. So confidence, I would say, is the next one. And then is mental toughness. Simply because, Tim, no matter how solid your plans are, how talented you are, or how wide open you think an opportunity is, there's going to be a challenge. Something is not going to work. Or you're going to ship a product to a customer and they're going to say, I didn't get the product. All right, somebody's going to buy something from you and then they're going to want a refund. Something is going to go wrong. You're going to be recording and you're going to realize that 
it wasn't recording for the last 30 minutes or whatever it is that you're doing. So you're, you're going to face challenges. Mental toughness is your ability to stay disciplined and stay confident despite the fact that you following all the, the rules and doing everything right, quote unquote, still has not yet produced the results. And then the last one I would say is personal initiative, is that that's your ability to be a go-getter, to go and make things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. And I think there are a lot of people out there these days in the business world and the sports world who are waiting for the phone to ring, waiting for the inbox to light up, waiting for someone to come to them with the opportunity for them to do what they say they want to do. The problem is that opportunity, that phone is not going to ring. Or nobody's going to come knocking on that door. Like, I think you might remember Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino, he was coaching the Boston Celtics. Hey, Larry Bird's not knocking on that door. He was actually telling the truth. He got fired for it, but he was telling the truth. That, that opportunity is not coming. So you have to be willing to be the one to go ring other people's phones and knock on their doors when that opportunity is not showing up for you. But that also requires you being confident, disciplined, and mentally tough because it's not always going to work. So they all actually feed off of each other, all four of those principles. Oh, very good advice there. And I, I, I think that... Uh, for anyone listening, you know, Dre's offering some really good tips. Uh, make sure you write them down uh, uh, throughout this podcast because, you know, the thing is, ultimately, this is not a business that you're going into. Well, heck, any business is not a business you're going to go into and it just be handed to you. You're going to have to bust your tail to get it. Uh, and uh, Dre's a great example of that. Um the, the next question, and obviously in the world that you've been in for all this time, with starting with YouTube and all the different things you've done, um, uh, as well as doing your TEDx talks and everything, I mean, obviously you've done a pretty good job of networking, I would imagine. So how do you approach that? Man, well, when it comes to networking, the first thing is I help people understand what networking really is. Networking is really just your ability to build relationships and getting people to know why I can trust you. And in the sports world, Tim, I'm sure you've come across this, especially athletes who are transitioning from one level to the next. For example, high school trying to get to play in college or college trying to play in the pros. You hear a lot of athletes complaining of politics. Our politics is getting in the way of me making it. Politics kept me off the AAU team or politics is keeping me from getting drafted or politics is the reason why I'm sitting on the bench when I should be starting or something like that. But people need to understand that politics and networking are two sides of the same coin. It's just we call it politics when it works against us and we call it networking when it's working for us. Right. When you know the right person and you get you know the right person and you don't have to work as hard to get an opportunity you say well hey i got relationships i'm a good networker but when you don't know the right person or you know them but you have a bad relationship with them and it works against you you say oh politics is blocking me but it's actually the exact same thing it's just a matter of the temperature of your relationships that's all it is so your ability to build relationships and it, there could be a whole book written on this and there are plenty of them i've done courses on it but relationships is really about you uncovering what value you can offer to another person because everybody is tuned into as they say in the sales world w-i-i-f-m what's in it for me what can you do for another person your job as the person who is selling and we're all selling something in life because any type of influence or persuasion is a sale is figuring out what does that other person need or want that i can offer and then your job is to communicate that to them and when you can do that and you give people what they want they will give you everything you want to paraphrase Zig Ziglar. That is all networking is, is figuring out what you can do for other people. And when you do that, they will be willing to do things for you. It's just the law of reciprocity. 
Yeah, that, that value-added uh, concept, really. Exactly. And, and I know that that's something in being involved in the uh, sport industry for over 30 years now, which is amazing that it's been that long. Um, and coming from growing up in South Alabama and living all over the United States and internationally as well, mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter where you're at. If you, you know, you're adding value to someone, uh, it doesn't need to be value, monetary value. It needs to be value that is sometimes intangible, but real value. Would you agree to that? Absolutely. Just something that the other person wants. Value is just what other people want. <laughs> but you know what other people want, you can create value. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, I, I brought up the TEDx talks. I mean, that must have been pretty neat to be uh, uh, asked to do that. How did you get involved in that? Man, uh, same way I got involved in playing overseas. <laughs> I saw the opportunity and I went and sold myself. So to get into it, the TEDx talks that I've done, actually every single one of them, I had to go and make myself known to them. So I never did a TEDx talk off of an incoming request. Uh, none of those were incoming inquiries. Those were all I saw that there was an event. They will put out no little interest form. Are you interested in speaking? Who's your name? What's your name? What do you want to talk about? What's the idea? And I filled out those forms. And luckily, four times, I've done four TED Talks. I've been able to sell myself to get on that stage. And then I had to actually go give the speech. So that's how I did each one of them, same way every time. Oh, wow. Well, I I can only imagine what that must have been like just to be uh, uh, able to go out there. And I've watched a couple of them. And and you, well, you talked about being a great communicator. You certainly are that. And and being able, yeah, I mean, being able to communicate is one thing, but being able to have something that is interesting for people to be communicated about, <laughs> you know, I think that right. that's, that's, and you certainly have an incredibly interesting story. And, uh, and I think, uh, I mean, do you think that when it comes to this industry and in sport, at least, do you think that mm. uh, having an interesting story is important? You mean for actually playing the sport? Well, it could like be getting for, on the court? Yeah, it could be. Well, maybe not getting on the court, but may, maybe being mm. um, uh, found, you know, uh, to be uh, like your coaches finding you. Like you brought up mm. Lithuania, you know, obviously, or other parts of the play, uh, world that you played, or even mm. in your own business now. I mean, you do you think that the story matters? In business, yes, the story matters. In sports, as far as actually playing, no, I do not think so. I think if you can't play, I don't care what your story is, you're not getting in the game. And I tell athletes that all the time. If you can't play, I don't care about your story. I don't, don't tell me about what your parents didn't do for you or what you know, tools and resources you don't have. You don't have access to an indoor gym. The closest court is two miles away. You have to walk. I hear this from athletes all the time. I've gotten thousands of emails from athletes over the years. And I tell them this straight up. Listen, your story, the only time your story matters, Tim, is once you've created success. Once you create success, everybody wants to know the story. How'd you do it? But the thing is, every human being has a story. Every person listening to us right now has a story. But the only people who want to hear your story are people who found out about your success and they want to know how they can take something from your story to use for their success. It goes right back to the last question you asked. How can you add value to other people? People don't really care about you that much. What they care about is what they can get from you that's going to help them be the best version of themselves. So that's the part that everybody needs to understand. But as far as sports goes, well, let's look at that. Your coaches, what do your coaches want? Your coaches need to win games because if they lose, they get fired. All right, you know what's going to help them win games? Good players. And how you 
prove you're a good player, show up to practice every day, improve it in practice, then you'll get in the game, do it in the game, and the coach will trust you, you'll get to play. But your story is not going to get you in the game. And if it does get you in the game, it ain't going to score any points for you. All right? So you better have some game on top of that story. So in business, though, on the other hand, Tim, yes, the story matters a lot because the story is the narrative that allows people to come into my world. Like I can tell my story, it'll bring people in and they'll say, okay, let me see what this guy Dre is about. For example, there's someone listening to this right now who's never heard of me. They're going to come to my website, maybe get my book or follow me on Instagram and listen to my, listen to something that I put out and let me see, let me see what this guy's about. And if they like the first thing, they'll listen to the next thing and next thing, next thing. So that's what the story does in the business world. It gets people a step closer, step closer, step closer difference in the sports world is that we have a scoreboard and it's black and white whereas the business world is much more subjective and it depends on how people feel in that moment about what you're offering and how you're offering it and there's no one there's no one baseline in the business world but in the sports world there's a baseline called the scoreboard all right did you make the shot or did you not all right you make it is worth two points you miss is zero it's just clean clean as day yeah, no, I, I appreciate you uh, clarifying that, and and I and I would mm -hmm. I certainly agree because, uh, you know, I I know that one of the things it's funny you bring it up uh, that you know it's when you become successful when your story is interesting, and I know for me, mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I I I think being able to have something that you can lean into to provide to others and say, well, hey, I did this, this, and this. And you can be able to be successful, but it's going to take effort on your part. And I think that that's mm -hmm. something that obviously is not always there. I mean, I, I, I know, you know, growing up in South Alabama and playing on the sand lots and playing pickup football and basketball and whatever else, you know, uh, we had to go out there and make it happen, you know, and it, it has right. changed quite a bit. Uh, I don't know if any kid these days would know how to play baseball with ghost men. Uh, we certainly did that growing up in Alabama. I don't even um, know what that is. <laughs> well, I can tell you, uh, Ghost Man, uh, basically, <laughs> it's when you play it's, uh, short-sided. You have, like, two or three players playing baseball, and you don't have enough mm -hmm. players. If so, you, you hit, and if you get on base, you got to say there's a Ghost Man on first, and then you uh, come back and hit again. <laughs> that's, okay. That's got how it. that was. So it, it's amazing for me. Um, it's we always had to be so creative and and i know that effort and initiative are so important and I, it goes to the next question i mean what what's one piece of advice that you give to someone who's really trying to go into the industry of sport and it could be any uh, segment of the industry whether it's sport entrepreneurship or uh sport training or sport coaching or administration whatever what's one piece of advice you give well, the first thing that people need to understand is that if you're going into an industry, you're going into a business, then you're in the business of generating revenue. You're in the business of making money because that's what business is, the exchange of resources. So your first question is asking yourself, are, how am I going to what's the end game here for how I'm going to actually make money and generate revenue and you know, make the register ring? Doesn't mean that's the first thing you do, but you need to have that North Star so that your actions are directed towards that. And then figuring out, especially in the world that we're in now, Tim, is how are you going to differentiate yourself or what's going to make somebody pay attention to you when they have all of these other alternatives? Or if you have a podcast or you wrote a book or you're a, a YouTuber, well, there are a million other people who say, well, I'm the same thing. So why would somebody give you their time? On top of the fact that you're not only competing with everyone else who does the same thing, but you're competing with everything that someone else could be doing. So you're a consumer. If you're a YouTuber, 
and you're trying to get my attention, you're not just competing with other YouTubers because I might not even be watching YouTube. I might be looking at, I might be watching Amazon video. I might be on Netflix. I might be on my computer writing something on Google Docs. I might be on a podcast uh, talking with Tim. I could be doing a lot of other things. I can only pay attention to one thing at a time. So you're competing against everything that I could be doing. So how are you going to get my attention and why should I give it to you? Those are the questions that you really need to answer up front. And what are you going to do for me? No, how are you going to help me get what I want? How are you going to remove the things that I don't want? When you can answer those questions, then you have the start of where you can begin making your offer to the world and possibly getting somebody's attention. Because until you get their attention, you can't get their money. Oh, yeah. No, no doubt. And the, you, it, the interesting thing about it, uh, when I got I, I uh, was the head, named the head coach at Hiram College in the Cleveland area back in 2003 after my Grove City years and. Mm -hmm. There were 275 applicants for that position. And wow. it, it, for a position in Division Three, you know, that didn't pay very much and mm -hmm. uh, very competitive. But the one there was a differentiator. There was I knew certain people, but also they knew about me and the value that I brought. And I think that being able to um, set yourself apart is what leads to success in anything we do. Um, I certainly wouldn't be in the role I'm in at University of Arizona Global Campus if, it, if I had been a bum, you know, if I had done my job mm. as an adjunct faculty member part-time uh, 11, 12 right. years ago. So, I mean, I, you know, it's a, it, it's a journey, but I do think that uh, it's great advice that you offer. And um, one last question, and I ask it of all my guests, how do you hold the ladder for others? How do you do it? Yeah, that's a great question. And I've been doing it since before I even knew that I was doing it, Tim. So it's when I noticed that there was an audience of people who could get value from what I was doing, even back when all I was doing was posting my basketball workouts. I wasn't even speaking on the camera. I was just posting the workout and just letting people see it. And then when I saw that they wanted the mindset aspect of it, then, oh, people want to know how to play overseas because I did it. Or then the how do you take this and apply it to the business world? I started doing it. And at the same time, the confluence of events, you get the ability that you can take this and make a business out of it. So that is all my business is, is helping people get what they need so that they can go to their next level. And often what they need is not the same as what they want. Those are two different things. But people know me as the person who's going to give you what you need, not just what you want. And that's how I hold the ladder to help people get to that next level. And it's not always for everybody, but I guarantee you I'm not going to tell you something that's not true. So either you can learn it now or you can learn it later. But that has always been my game. Yeah. And I think that that is something that's extremely it's an incredibly essential uh, mm -hmm. for the people that get like I, I work with doctoral students uh, in my job mm -hmm. and four and a half percent of Americans earn a doctoral degree. And a lot <laughs> of times that's not that many. And uh, a lot of right. people that get to that level a lot of times they'll think well i thought it was going to be easier i'm like you're at the four four and a half percent of all americans are one of these it's not going to be easy it's all a question of how the work that you want to put into it is what you're going to get out of it and i i, I agree with you i i think that uh being honest and many times i'm a little too honest with my students um but mm. you know i do think that being honest makes a difference in the success down the road where you then you have people that are reaching back out and saying well thanks dr rice or thanks coach rice or thanks dre 
or, you know, mm. thanks for what you've done. I, I think that that makes a difference. Do you get a lot of folks that reach out to you and, and tell you, man, thanks so much? I mean, how's that feel? Absolutely. And I have I've been publishing content since 2005, Tim. So I have kids who have literally grown up with me and they reach out to me and say, Dre, I used to follow you and watch your videos every day back when I was in eighth grade and I thought I was going to the NBA. You know, now I'm 25 and I have my own IT firm or I'm, I'm married now. I have kids. You know, I'm I'm not playing basketball anymore. But, you know, the messages that you shared back in the basketball days, I still apply to myself to this very day. So it feels amazing to know that you're you're giving people value that they are keeping with them throughout their lives. And when you hear messages like that, you realize how much people are actually listening to everything that you say. Because sometimes you put something out there, you think people didn't really hear it, but they're really listening to everything that you're saying. And that's a lot of influence, also a lot of responsibility. But I love having that because I know what I'm giving people is going to help them because it helped me. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, one last question would be, you know, what, what's next for Dre Baldwin in your business? Do you have any new ideas, mm -hmm. new ventures on the way? I do. I can't tell you about them, but I'm working on <laughs> I'm working on a few of them right now. Actually, uh, some some really big plans that we're working on. Hopefully it becomes big. Some plans that I'm working on with a couple business partners of mine. And at the same time, getting the, the work on your game message out there, because I don't think you ever heard of me before I reached out to you. So it's more people need to know about the work on your game message that already exists on top of the fact of the other things that I want to do. So we're not done with work on your game. It still has a, a whole lot more expansion to be made to make sure it gets into the minds of people, kind of like Nike has just do it. All right, people don't know work on your game like that, but I think we can get up to that level, but it still takes a lot more effort. Yeah, well, I know a lot of our uh, listeners in uh, the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland will, will hear the message today and uh, go check you out. Um, Trey, thank you so much uh, for being a guest on the podcast. How would you like to close the podcast today? Just to let everybody know that no matter what it is that you do, you have a game that you're playing. If you're an entrepreneur, you're a professor, if you're an athlete, you're a person just trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, there's a game that you're playing. And the most important thing about you in your work is your game. Well, how much game do you bring to the table? How much of an impact do you have on any team that you're a part of? When you have an impact on the team, you will always be able to create an opportunity for yourself. So focus on where your game is and not on anything tangential that is not contributing to your performance in your game. Focus on that. When that's good, people will be beating down your door. Excellent advice. I appreciate you uh, sharing your busy day with us uh, and uh, continued success as you continue to grow work on your game but also just growing your brand and uh it's been an, uh exciting to listen and learn from you absolutely well i appreciate you sharing your platform with me tim and hopefully we hear from your audience that they enjoyed this conversation super all right well everyone thanks for listening to uh our episode here today and uh we look forward to seeing you in our next episode have a great rest of your week Thanks for listening, and until our next episode, I challenge you to hold a ladder for someone to climb to greater heights than they ever thought possible. Mm -hmm.